0: The following content is explicit. It's Friday, June 1st, 2018. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca, A passing to announce. I'm not a huge... Video game fan, but I am a fan of huge video games. And Pong was one of those enormous video games in the cabinets, in bars, starting off in California in the 70s. It had those captivating graphics and the sounds. Oh, the sounds. It was reported today that the inventor of Pong, Ted Dabney, died. Well, I should say it was co-inventor. He worked with Nolan Bushnell and a guy named Al Alcorn. Uh, Bushnell, by the way, is quite famous. But eventually, he and Dabney, they didn't get along. They were arguing all the time. We have some tape of that. Anyway, Dabney had more success in life and so did Bushnell. Bushnell pretty much invented Chuck E. Cheese and Dabney worked with him on Chuck E. Cheese. I'd like to hear an oral history of Chuck E. Cheese. I could not find one. What I did find was an oral history of Pong and it had a through line, which I found interesting. This was from the Computer History Museum, oral history of Samuel F. Ted Dabney, interviewed by Chris Garcia. Dabney, Al Alcorn had designed it and had it working. This is a lot of fun. Boom, boom, boom. You know, that kind of stuff. And he put some sound in, which was really neat. Beep, beep, beep. You know, that kind of stuff. And we were playing in Nolan's office and bang, bang. You know, I said, Nolan, this is fun. Laughs. Garcia. Laughs. Dabney. Al said, this is fun laughs. Garcia, laughs. Now I'm laughing. Dabney. So we badgered him and badgered him and badgered him. Oh, well, what are we going to call it? Well, ping pong. No, can't call it ping. That's golf clubs. Can't call it that. So we decided to call it pong. We found out later in England, that means poop. Now keep in mind the idea that pong means poop. When I direct you to this next part of the conversation, Garcia. Wow. Oh, excellent. Now, Pong at this point had just started to pop out and it explodes right around 72. Dabney, I don't know. Look, I don't keep track of time. I don't keep track of anything. I'm technical. Garcia, so what was it like when the froth started, when the people started to catch on to Pong? What was it like in the company at that point? Dabney, It stunk. No, Dabney didn't say that last part. Mike laughs. In fact, I can report, thankfully, Pong doesn't actually mean poop in England. It doesn't even mean poop to English people when they travel abroad. It means odor, uh, a weird or foul odor. Or what it meant to entertainment-starved bar denizens and then preteens of the 1970s. Pong meant fun. Laughs. Ted Dabney was 81 years old. On the show today, I spiel about the news that I have put on hold until this news actually happens. But first, a brain researcher who experienced odd, then troubling, and eventually telltale thoughts and perceptions. Neuroscientist, know thyself. Barbara Lipska is a world-renowned neuroscientist. She is the director of the Human Brain Collection Corps at the National Institutes of Mental Health and a recognized expert on schizophrenia. It was not until, however, she began experiencing her own symptoms of brain tumors that she really began to understand what is going on in this field that she had established her expertise in. The memoir of this is called The Neuroscientist Who Lost Her Mind, My Tale of Madness and Recovery. Hello, Barbara Lipska.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. So let's take our listeners to the first time you began to have symptoms that you recognized as uh, being affected by what you thought might be a brain tumor. Because I know you had cancer before then, if I'm getting that right, but this is the first time it showed up. It showed up uh, in the form of what you recognized pretty early to be a brain tumor. Tell us about that.
1: That's right. So uh, what happened? I thought I am an invincible person. I was an athlete, a marathoner, a triathlete. I ate healthy always, all my life. Nothing is going to happen to me. And I studied mental illnesses for my entire professional career over 40 years now. First in my native Poland and then in the U.S. at the uh, Institute of Mental Health, National Institute of Mental Health. So one day, I'm coming out of the pool thinking that something is a little off. I was a little dizzy. I thought maybe I didn't eat enough. I went to my car. I got inside. I drove to NIH, which was about 20 miles, and put my hands on the keyboard. And I tried to turn on my computer, but my right hand disappeared, Mm -hmm. vanished,
0: Did it seem as if there was a dark spot in your vision, or your vision was the full panorama? Yeah, yeah.
1: No hand, cut off at the wrist. Whatever was in the right lower quadrant of my visual field, I was missing.
0: And so you, because of your training and expertise, said what to yourself?
1: Actually, (laughs) my expertise didn't play any role at this (laughs) moment. It was so terrifying. Such a freaky thing that I didn't think really logically. The first thing that appeared in my mind was a tumor, but only because I had breast cancer several years before in 2009. So all this was happening in January of 2015. So we're talking six years before I had breast cancer. And I had melanoma on my skin In 2011, December, so basically 2012, three years before. So I kind of put these things together, but the moment I thought tumor, I expelled that thought from my brain. It was too terrifying, too deadly. I didn't want to deal with it. Next day, it turned out that I do have three brain tumors. One in my visual cortex, responsible for that vision field, and we were sure that it will not end with the radiation. It will not end with surgery. I will die if we don't do something very special. And this very special thing was supposed to be immunotherapy.
0: And that that did work, but that led to, well, the title of the book and your experiences.
1: Yes, because it S- yeah. worked almost too well in me.
0: Mm-hmm. It saved your life, but it left you with tumors uh, that you didn't recognize for what they were. Am I right?
1: Yes. So my behavior started changing gradually during immunotherapy. It didn't happen from one day to another, but I was slowly but surely losing emotions. I was losing uh, empathy. I was yelling at my husband. I was yelling at all uh, my beloved family members, including my grandsons. I didn't have emotions. I stopped loving my husband. I stopped loving my grandkids. I didn't know what was happening to me.
0: So what does that say about the notion that I've often heard that love we could ascribe – some positivity to it. But, you know, people will say what it really is is you have a shot of adrenaline or cortisol. It's a chemical reaction, especially at first. Or they'll even talk about, you know, when we see a, a cute baby or a cute kid that triggers something in us, some instinct. You know, people will explain away these emotions as just being chemicals in your brain. You went through a period where literal chemicals in your brain were getting in the way of that love. So maybe it calls into question minimizing what love is as just a series of chemicals.
1: Yes, I think it is. I am a materialist. (laughs) I am a scientist. I believe that everything who we are, everything about us is in the brain, is physical. So I lost part of the brain that is critical For these emotions, empathy, these, uh, what we think, higher order feelings. Mm -hmm. And um, they disappeared. They disappeared because they were squashed by the tumors and swelling in my brain.
0: Did all your family members and people in your life whose feelings you perhaps hurt forgive you uh, eventually or immediately?
1: (laughs) They, uh, uh, They forgave me immediately. They were even not cross when I was doing it. They were an incredibly loving family. My husband, my children, my sister, and her family, they were all around me trying to help me. No one realized that I had these tumors that are causing my strange behaviors, but they knew that I was suffering. They thought that I was very stressed out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Did it take longer for you to forgive yourself after you regained your mind and were told I about never the way you forgave
1: were? You myself. But <laughs> but, it, but why not? I mean,
0: if anyone <laughs> yeah. in the world should, it should be someone with your insight as to the mechanical nature as you said of the human mind.
1: Yeah, and I am <laughs> and I'm spreading this message that no one should feel guilty because he she is ill. It is an illness. Like any other illness, like an illness of heart, of kidney, of liver. It is just the illness of the brain. So if the brain stops functioning and we stop realizing what is happening around us or with us, within us, we should not be considered guilty for the behaviors that are inappropriate or even hurtful.
0: Mm. And... Was your interest in schizophrenia and the study of the brain, was there a large empathetic portion to it? Or was it more like a puzzle to unlock? Were you feeling for the person suffering in the throes of this disease? Or was it more of an intellectual exercise before you went through it?
1: I think it was more intellectual because it was almost impossible to understand how it can feel. Now I do. Yeah, It is like... <laughs> observing in a movie a, a foreign country versus visiting it and living there right. and understanding it better.
0: Right. I get that. Do you think that for the pure researcher, that bit of empathy helps their research?
1: I think it helps tremendously. Not that I wasn't a passionate scientist before I was, but it it added a lot uh, I understand the urgency of having us really understand mental illness. We need definitely more funding. Look at what happened in cancer research. Um, Over many years, cancer has been funded and advocated for a lot more than mental illness. They have stronger advocates. They have more funding. It gave rise after decades and decades of research to... What I benefited from, immunotherapy, which is a great breakthrough in cancer. Hopefully, we'll do the same with mental illness, but it involves the brain, which is a lot more complicated. It involves behaviors, which are a lot more difficult to examine than the growth or disappearance of a tumor. So I think we have just a lot more difficult... um, puzzle to solve in mental illness but it will be solved i'm sure it just requires time and money
0: yeah i do have one last question i am glad i'm heartened that your family was supportive throughout all this but you did fire the pest control guy for trying to poison you (laughs) and he was all he was trying to do is eradicate uh, vermin and pests did he ever forgive you
1: he was not fired. My husband <laughs> called him and said, no, 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 just forgive her. <laughs> get, so my husband yeah, saved yeah. me. <laughs> you could get
0: the Orkin man to forgive you. <laughs> then anything is possible. Barbara Lipska is the author of and the subject of The Neuroscientist Who Lost Her Mind, My Tale of Madness or Recovery. Thank you for your time.
1: Thank you so much.
0: spiel. The biggest news stories of this last week were seemingly important stories, but they're all in the category of stories that I swore off, that I vowed I would not be paying attention to until they actually happened. A lot of news about things that might happen, but I've been burned before. So what I'm going to concentrate on is the ancillary news ancillary news it's the ancillary news so what was the real news meaning you know presidential news that i swore not to cover oh the summit all right it's on again you know what call me when you meet okay guys and then the tariffs oh they're on again they're on just not against the country that they should be on against if they should be on against any country we're targeting the canadians and the germans Those guys are in our sights. Fantastic. And the pardons. Now, there were some pardons that really did happen, so I paid attention to those, like the Dinesh D'Souza pardon. Dinesh D'Souza, somewhat uh, of a loathsome person, though all the stories were, Dinesh D'Souza, who was convicted of violating election law. But now let me tell you about all the crazy conservative ideas he has and the things that he said that weren't true and the time he said Hitler wasn't anti-gay and the horrible person he is. Yes, 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 yes. But can we concentrate on the election law part? All right, Dinesh D'Souza, if this is the continuum, if the editors of the National Review are mostly fair conservatives, and if Ben Shapiro is... Definitely inaccurate at times, though sometimes worth hearing out. Dinesh D'Souza, this guy's 100% propaganda, just no relation to the truth. But that has nothing to do with what makes pardoning him bad. So little attention was paid to his actual violation of election laws. So much more attention was paid to how he has violated the norms of discourse and how misleading his quote-unquote documentaries are. The President of the United States keeps going on and on and on, spreading self-serving lies and myths about things like bussing in voters in New Hampshire, or a fraudulent claim of three million people having voted illegally, or that Chris Kobach kooky, now decommissioned, commissioned with their solution in search of a problem that really doesn't exist. So the backdrop is Trump is terrible, dishonest, and horrible when it comes to election law, you have a guy who really did clearly and demonstrably violate election laws and Trump pardons him. And he doesn't even, even though this is a guy who's demonstrated a willingness to bend the truth, he doesn't even go so far as to say Dinesh D'Souza didn't violate the law. So anyway, it's his documentaries that are the terrible thing. Now that's actual news. That is not news that I'm assigning to the back burner until the news actually happens. The news related to pardons that I regard as non-news until it definitely is news is the news about a possible Martha Stewart pardon or Rod Blagojevich pardon. Blagojevich is one of the only unifying people in politics these days. Democrats, Republicans, anyone who cares about Illinois politics, clean politics, Really, anyone not named Blagojevich is glad that this guy is in jail. He is an insult to the people of Illinois. He is an insult to the office of the governor. And he is an insult to the reality TV show, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Because he didn't even go on that show. He sent his wife instead. The former first lady of Illinois, which is what? I don't know, the 63rd lady, if we're doing the rankings? Patty Blagojevich. And she tied on that show... With Sanjaya. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. And by celebrity, we mean the wife of a guy who's famous for having prominent hair and going to jail. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here is a stupid show because, of course, it was unclear what constituted celebrity, but also it was fairly unclear what was meant by the second half of that phrase, get me out of here. This is a show where the reward is. You get to leave the titular getting out of there, but the punishment is elimination. In other words, they get you out of there. I will give Donald Trump this compliment. The apprentice had a much cleaner concept, and the celebrity apprentice was a collection of humans who were much closer to an accurate definition of celebrity than I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. But I've said too much because Rod Blagojevich, Martha Stewart, that is the news I swore I wouldn't pay attention to. Though, some have forced me by putting it on the front page or the editorial page, Washington Post front page story with pardon, President sends a signal. Uh, here's a quote. Donald Trump delivered an indirect but unmistakable message to personal attorney Michael Cohen, former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, Sanjaya, no, it didn't say Sanjaya, and others ensnared, in Trump-related investigations, that they too could be spared punishment. Chicago Tribune trying to figure out, suss out what was behind this pardon or talk of a pardon. The darker calculation would be that Trump wants to signal allies now under federal investigation that he has them covered. Oh yes, the dark, the dark web of calculations. You need a tour current To get on that, the subtlety, the tea leaves, invisible to the untrained eye, such maneuverings that can only be discerned by those who pick up on nuance and almost imperceptible nods and glances, like the coy mating dance played in the parlors of Victorian England, where only the smallest of eyebrow raised or wrist flick could mean intent and indeed desire, the modern version of which is Donald Trump barebacking a porn star. Yes, to suss this out, we need a trained expert, perhaps the U.S. version of a Kremlinologist, or as they call them in this White House, a Kremlinologist, to figure out the masterful game that Trump is playing. I will ignore this stuff, okay? I will concentrate on the ancillary news, the ancillary news, and I bring you this story, Dateline, Hearn, Texas. There's a story I found in the Texas Tribune, Hearn, Texas, 70 miles uh, southeast of Waco, Hard by the Brazos River. Hard. Always hard by. It's never, never just easy by the, the Brazos River. Mike Paskey grew up in Oceanside. Hard by Morty and Joey Lorge's above-ground pool. The the Hearn, Texas. The tributary in Hearn, Texas is the lost creek as it wends its way through Hearn. Anyway, here's the real story. Uh, selling pickled produce had always been part of the McKinney's business plan, But as the McCainies tried to set up their small-batch pickling operation, they realized that there was only one major obstacle. A recently approved state regulation defines a pickle as one item and one item only. A pickled cucumber. Not pickled beets. Not pickled okra. In Texas, a state where political leaders often extol the virtues of entrepreneurship and light-handed regulation, purveyors of pickled cucumbers can take an online course, meet some other requirements, and set up shop at a farmer's market, But to sell any other kind of pickled fruit or vegetable, the McKinney's learned they'd have to become licensed food manufacturers, which, you know, was a huge, giant hassle. So what about this? What about this law? That the only thing that you could sell as pickled was a pickled cucumber. You know, a pickle is a pickled cucumber. When we say a pickle, that's what we mean. It's one of those phrases where we've dropped some of the words over the years, like A suit means a new suit of clothes or a biohazard. Oh, you mean a biological hazard? That is what I mean. Farewell, by which I mean fare thee well in your new suit of clothes. But when it comes to pickle, I think it's fair to say that if you sell pickles, you sell pickled cucumbers. And if you want to make a regulation exempting pickles, then you're really only exempting pickled cucumbers. Because if you wanted, my opinion... Uh, the pickle loving but not pickle producing Pasca. My opinion if you wanted to exempt your pickled beet, your pickled okra, your pickled tomato, you would say so. See, a pickled cucumber isn't necessarily in the same category as a pickled tomato or a pickled beet. A pickled cucumber is just a pickle, where a pickled beet is a pickled beet. Uh, Toasted ravioli and toasted coconuts certainly are things, but toasted bread is not. We just call that toast. But the McCainies do seem like victims, like innocent victims. Although, according to this report, there are some beneficiaries. uh, They're cows. The excess beets that couldn't be pickled were fed to the cows. And now the McKinney's are looking to sue and possibly take the case to the Supreme Court. Look, it's not the biggest story in the world. It's really not. But you know what I did? I read it. I invested in it. I learned something. I understood something. I didn't have to wonder, is this a real something or just distracting blunder that some expert can tell me what the secret meaning is? The meaning is these poor people from Hearn and their goddamn pickles. It might not be the most important news in the world. It might just be ancillary news. But you know what? Though ancillary news is ancillary, it's still news. And that's it for today's show. Pierre Biennemay, just producer, laughs because zwoop whoop The audio software he's working with is wild. Laughs. Mary Wilson, just senior producer, understands the whole pickled cucumber bit, but hearts of palm. She'd been thinking about hearts of palm. What's going on there? Why don't you just call it palm? It could just be palm. Why you gotta get so specific? I mean, or become its own branded thing. Call it a different kind of vegetable. You know, like sweetbreads, right? Just branded. Why the whole hearts of palm? Steve Lictai, executive producer of Slate Podcast, you know he's piggybacking on the whole hearts of palm thing. What if we just called it palm and people would know when we serve you palm, we mean the hearts of palm. Like they know when we serve you a watermelon, we mean the inside of a watermelon. Or to go back to a coconut, not the hard outer shell of a coconut. Everyone knows they shouldn't be an idiot and eat the outer part that's inedible. So why can't we just say that with palm? The gist, hot palm talk from our grocery to yours. Peru depperoo and thanks for listening.